I just wanted to stop everything and take the time today to let you know how very thankful I am that you've been there for me. I want to say thanks for never giving up on me. Thank you for providing meals for us after Blake's surgery. Thanks for making sure I always had a ride to chemo. And thank you for helping me through this difficult season in my life, God. Thank you, God, for teaching me to be a strong single dad. Dear God, thank you so much for giving me this new job. I love it. Thanks for sending Jeff to take my shift last week so I could be with my family. For keeping me company on the first day of school. Thank you, God, for helping us get that bill paid. Thank you, God, for the clothes on my back. For giving me the courage to speak the truth. Thank you for forgiving me. For making my day better. For giving my life a melody. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for every single day. And one final thing, God. Thank you for always loving me, no matter what. Second Corinthians chapter four is our text today, and we're going to get to that in just a moment. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, German pastor who was imprisoned during the Second World War, uh, he said this: "In ordinary life, we hardly realize that we receive a great deal more than we give, and that it is only with gratitude that life becomes rich." I love that quote. I'll read it again. We hardly realize that we receive a great deal more than we give, and that it is only with gratitude that life becomes rich. That's part of our theme this morning. It's Thanksgiving Sunday, and it would be really weird for me to preach on, say, the seven trumpets of Revelation or something like that. Um, so we are going to be talking about Thanksgiving. But we have a problem, I think. We have a challenge when it comes to giving thanks. I think I do, at least. When I look at the world around us, uh, there's a lot to be concerned about. There's a lot of challenges in the world. Sometimes we don't feel particularly grateful. We look at the world around us and some of the chaos and some of the problems and some of the difficulties that people around the world are facing. And we wonder, Lord, how, how long will people have to deal with this? But we don't have to look very far. We look in our own homes, our own lives. And we're dealing sometimes with a little extra chaos that we didn't ask for. And it's difficult sometimes to have that attitude of gratitude that the pastor always talks about, right? Sometimes we look at our job, those who are still working, and you think, take this job and be thankful for it. That's not the first thing that comes out of our mind or our mouths. When we think about our job sometimes, it's tough, isn't it? Sometimes our family causes us uh, more burdens than blessings, it feels, as we work, walk through some of those times. Personal illness and trials of all kinds can rob us from a spirit of thanksgiving. So how can we be thankful and grateful in difficult times? Well, the Apostle Paul knew difficulty, 
And I've mentioned this before, and you can look it up in his letters. He was very, very open about it, about the difficulty that came because he carried the gospel. Lots of difficulties. He was shipwrecked. He was stoned. He was beaten. He was imprisoned. He was mocked. His friends sometimes abandoned him. All kinds of things that Paul faced that would cause him to be bitter, you'd think. And yet Paul's the one, out of all the writers in the New Testament, that encourages us to be thankful in all times, in all seasons. Paul says this in the passage that was read for us by Laurie. He says this, we are hard pressed on every side. That's the reality. He says, look at what I'm doing on behalf of the churches. I'm hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. I'm perplexed, but not in despair. Anybody been perplexed the last few years? Anybody felt, feel a level of perplexity that they've never experienced before? Paul says, I'm perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. There's a song about that, Samuel. We didn't sing it today, but there it is. But then he says, therefore, we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. Anybody feel like we're wasting away outwardly? But then he says, but inwardly we are being renewed day by day. He even had the audacity to say that our troubles that feel like they're so permanent and so overwhelming, he calls them light and momentary. That's amazing. So what was his secret? How does he do that? How does Paul cultivate an attitude of gratitude in the midst of all the suffering and all the perplexity and all the chaos that he faced? Well, I think part of the secret is in the passage that we read together. There's a, a, a line that was read at the very beginning of our passage today, and I think it's one of the most beautiful and profound lines that Paul ever penned. This is what it is. We have this treasure in jars of clay. I love it. And I think it's something that we have to unpack a little bit. What treasure? What is Paul talking about when he says we have this treasure? What is the treasure we have if we are believers in Jesus Christ? Well, the treasure, if you backed up a line before and read the other part of the passage, the treasure is this. Paul says, it's the knowledge of the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus. Now, that might not mean a lot to us. It's not the language we use. We don't say, hey, what treasure do you have? Well, it's the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. We don't use that language too much. So let's, let's uh, explore that a little bit. The glory of God is a major theme all throughout the Bible. And if you want to do an intensive study, go explore what the glory of God means. It's absolutely critical that we begin to understand that. But here's a short form. For me, the glory of God is this. It's the essence of the beauty, the holiness, the power, and the majesty of God. It's exactly who God is. It's all of who God is. That's God's glory. And sometimes we catch a glimpse of God's glory. Anybody been for a walk lately? Out in the beauty of you know, the sunset or the sunrise or the trees, whatever you see around us? We catch a glimpse of that reflected glory of God. In the Old Testament, though, the glory of God, this intense beauty and holiness and grace and power and majesty of God, this glory of God was so intense that you couldn't look right at it. But Moses spent some time in the glory of God, and does anybody remember what happened to him? His face started to shine. 
That'd be kind of cool, wouldn't it? But his face was shining so much when he came down from the mountain that people couldn't look at him. So they had to put a veil over his face because it was so bright. I think that's part of the reference here that Paul is using when he says, we now see the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Jesus reveals the Father to us. So if we've ever been confused about God in the past, if we've ever been afraid of God in the past, if we've ever thought God was just out there with a big stick waiting for us to step out of line, whatever we thought of God in the past, put it aside when you see Jesus. Because Paul says, Jesus is the image of God, the exact representation of his being. He is the glory of God. It's the glory of God revealed in the face of Jesus. And Paul says, this knowledge that we now have, it's a treasure. It's an absolute treasure. Because of that knowledge, we know what God is like. And we know that God loves us. And God is for us and not against us. That's a treasure. It's an incredible treasure. It reminds me of the story that Jesus told about a man who was, and it's kind of a weird story when you think about it. He was walking in someone else's field and he found a treasure. He didn't go tell the guy that owned, owned the field that he found a treasure. It's like finding change in the couch, right, Justin? And you find some change in the couch and it's like a treasure you have. He told the pastor that he found change. It's okay. I let him keep it. So I'm generous that way. It wasn't my money either. But back to the story. The, the man's walking in the field and he finds a treasure. But what does he do? He's so excited about the treasure that he goes and he buys the entire field so that he can get the treasure. Paul's kind of like that. Paul says, I'm willing to give up everything just for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus. That's the treasure that Paul is talking about. That's the treasure that he has. I was in a conversation just this last week, um, a beautiful conversation along with one of our elders, with two people that are fairly new to our uh, faith community. And they were sharing with us some of their story of coming to follow Jesus. And I don't know if you've been around people lately who are just new to this knowledge of Jesus, just coming to understand what Jesus is all about. It's so exciting. The joy and the love and the excitement in their life, it was tangible in the room. Like you could feel the excitement because they have now come to find Jesus. And uh, one of them said it like this. Uh, they said, I felt like I was in a coma all my life and have just now woken up. Isn't that beautiful? That's the joy. Do you remember that? When you, when you first maybe found Jesus, if you have, I hope you have, and you remember that initial joy and that initial, just that, the love and the grace and the excitement that's part of that. But as I listened to their story, I wondered to myself, have I forgotten some of that treasure? Have I forgotten the treasure that we have? I wonder if you have. I've forgotten that we have this incredible treasure. When I was in my teens, I got a $20 bill, and it wasn't, you know, the fake plastic money we have now. It was like real currency. And, uh, and it was crisp. It was so crisp. Hadn't been folded, hadn't been marked on, and I was just amazed at this bill. And so I decided to use it as a bookmark. I must have been really flush with money. I was like making $3.65 an hour at McDonald's, so I was obviously in the, in the money at that time. So I used it kind of as a bookmark, probably in Lord of the Rings or something like that, that I was reading for the 10th time. And so it was in there and I forgot it. 
Do anybody ever do that? You just, you put something away, something that's important to you, something that's valuable, and you put it away and you just kind of forget all about it. Well, we were moving again, because I've lived in like 25 different homes by the time I was 18. And so we were moving again, and I was going through my stuff, and we always had to downsize. And here I was looking through the book, and what did I find? $20! I was as excited, maybe even more excited, at the rediscovery of my treasure than I was at the first time. This is my encouragement to you. If you feel that you have forgotten this treasure that we have, that maybe that love has grown cold, my encouragement is the rediscovery of that treasure is just as exciting as the first time that you've discovered it. This treasure of the knowledge of Jesus, that the glory of God in the face of Jesus is such a treasure for us. And we can experience it all over again. So that's the first part of the statement Paul makes. We have this treasure, but then he makes something incredibly beautiful. He says, we have this treasure in what? in jars of clay, not crackpots, but pots, right? <laughs> we have these, this treasure, this knowledge of Jesus, knowing Jesus, but we have it in jars of clay. For all of Paul's greatness, and he was great. I mean, this was a smart guy. He went to the best schools. He had the greatest education. He had an incredible heritage. He had incredible citizenship. He had status. He had power. He had all kinds of things but he also recognized his humanity, that he was a jar of clay. That's what it's all about. We are all stuff of earth, breath of God, right? We are all jars of clay. Clay jars are common, and yet they are all unique. I love that. Clay jars are fragile, but they're also very useful, right? That's in Paul's day. And even when there's a crack or two or a bit of a thin wall, what happens when you put light in the clay jar? It shines through. And that's part of the image that we have here. That Paul says, we have this treasure. We have this treasure in, in these bodies, in this mind, with all of our faults, with all of our flaws, with all the mistakes that we make, with all of our brokenness, we still have this treasure. God has deposited this treasure in us. And it's perhaps because of our brokenness that it gets to shine through. And the reason that God has put this treasure in jars of clay is so that the glory and the power and the strength is obviously his and not ours. And that's what Paul says. What an incredible thing that he gives. So what is, this, what is Paul's response to this mystery? He talks about this incredible thing that God has entrusted this knowledge of Jesus to you and me. What's Paul's response? Well, here's his response. That God should deposit a treasure in such an ordinary and vulnerable vessel so that this grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. How did Paul deal with all his troubles? How did he deal with all his trials, his suffering, everything else? He knew the grace of God. And it's from the point of the grace of God that he was able to give thanks. I'm sure he didn't give thanks for when he was in pain. He's not a masochist. It's not like that. But he gives thanks because of the grace of God in every single situation. And based on that, he's able to give thanksgiving. And God causes thanksgiving to overflow to his glory because of this. 
It's an interesting thing as we read through that uh, line in the passage, and maybe we don't pick up on the connection between grace and thanksgiving, but here's just a little bit of Greek, just enough to make us dangerous, right? A little bit of Greek. The word grace is charis. The word gratitude is eucharisto. Grace leads to gratitude. They're connected. They're combined. Eucharisto is this giving of thanksgiving. It's this gratitude that we have because of God's grace. And we want to see that gratitude overflow. So here, as we wrap this up this morning, how do we cultivate that gratitude? How do we see it overflow in our lives? Here's three simple things that we can do. First of all, like Paul, we need to express it. We need to express our gratitude. I love that Samuel still has his birthday card from his kids and they've expressed gratitude and just that connection to express our gratitude to God. And it sounds obvious, but sometimes we forget to do it, right? I think we can get very casual with God. Even at mealtime, sometimes we forget to just give thanks, just pause for a moment. Remember in, in some different occasions when we're meeting with people that maybe don't have the habit of giving thanks before eating, it feels super weird because everybody just comes and it's like, like pigs at the trough, you know? You just get right in there and start eating. And it's like, I think we missed something, right? It's a good habit to have, just express thanks. But we need to do it all the way through our lives for every grace that we've experienced from God to express it, to actually verbalize it to say thank you, and that's how gratitude overflows. Here's another way, not only to express it, but enjoy it. Whatever grace gift God has given you, enjoy it. When our kids were young and we still bought them presents that could be wrapped, um, they, I loved buying the presents, I loved wrapping them, I loved the anticipation, but what I loved the most is seeing them enjoy the gift, right? Just enter fully into it, to use it, to delight in it, and enjoy it. What grace gift has God given you that you can enjoy today? Maybe it's food. Maybe it's your home. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's whatever grace gift you've received. Enjoy it. Our main purpose, our chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. We need to enjoy it. But here's the third way, and this is what I really want to drive home today. Another way that we can see gratitude overflow in our lives is to share it, to pass it along to others. Uh, the idea of gratitude as an action word, it comes through the recovery program that you see in, in programs like Alcoholics Anonymous. In the 12th step, this is what people are to do. To return to others what you have been given in order to help those who were where you once were. So return to others what you have been given. What a beautiful way to express gratitude, to return to others what you have been given. Have you received and experienced God's love today? Then give that love to others. Have you experienced God's peace? Then the act of gratitude is to give that peace to others. Have you experienced God's forgiveness? Then our act of gratitude is to offer forgiveness to others. See where I'm going with this? Whatever grace gift you've received, think about it, then offer that to, to others. Has, has God made you prosperous? Has he given you plenty? Then be generous with others. Has God welcomed you in? Then welcome in others. That's how we make gratitude 
an action word. We give to others as we have received. This is the action of gratitude. Lauren Hill, some of you might be familiar with the name, a singer, actress, and uh, beautiful music, all kinds. And she said this, and I found it really um, appropriate to our message today. She said, everything we do should be a result of our gratitude for what God has done for us. And when we make that connection, as Paul did in the passage, between grace and gratitude, then we get it. We understand what we're called to in the gospel. This was Paul's secret. This is how he managed to maintain thanksgiving, even when he faced all kinds of trouble. Lean on God's grace. 